I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Your dad went missing and we were searching for him. And after hours and hours, we, we finally found him. And he was, he was dead. And it was just, I don't know, it was just a really weird dream. And then I, I turned around and... All of a sudden, you were missing. You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm a journalist and author who's been telling true ghost stories since 2009. I'm excited to say that the book that began it all, Spirit Sisters, has been re-released in a new edition. If you want to know more about what inspired the Ghost Files podcast and read the spooky real-life stories that first captured my imagination, pick up a copy of Spirit Sisters. Today my guest is Tom Priestley. He's a 29-year-old Ghost Files listener who reached out to me to share the extraordinary experiences that unfolded after he had a prophetic and tragic dream when he was 19 years old. Before we begin, please note that the number for Lifeline in Australia is 13 11 14 if you need support. Here's my conversation with Tom Priestley. Hi Tom, welcome to The Ghost Files. Hey Karina, it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Now, before we dive into the extraordinary experiences that you've had, please just tell us a bit about yourself and who you are and what your life is like today. I suppose you could say I'm uh, a relatively typical bloke. I like cars and boats and camping with my friends and stuff. If you were to ask any of my friends, they'd probably tell you I'm the furthest thing away from typical that you can be. Um, (laughs) Why would they say that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it's a multi-layered sort of thing, but you'll probably find out why once I get further into my story. I've been living in uh, the Northern Rivers for the best part of the last 20 years. I've tried my hands at a lot of things. I've been a cook, a nanny, a retail supervisor, truck driver, lawnmower. I'm a qualified carpenter, but currently I run a local pressure cleaning business in the Northern Rivers area. Okay. And you've been staying with your grandparents in Sydney for a little while. Well, yeah. The last couple of weeks, considering everything that's going on at the moment, I've yeah. had to come down and lend a hand to the grandparents. My grandfather's not very well at the moment and requires pretty consistent medical attention. And so my family thought that it might be a good idea for me to come down and and take up some of the roles that a lot of the staff that work here do. Now, without further ado, let's get into your story because I'm sure the listeners want to hear why we've got you on the show. It all began when you met your best friend, Ashley, on the street skateboarding and you were only 13. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, uh, that's right. So Ashley and I met just playing on the street in a place that's called Fig Tree Hill, 
we were soon to find out that we actually just lived two doors down from each other. It was actually the first friend that I had made after moving up from Sydney when I was 10. And for the next six or, or seven years, me and Ashley and, and Rico, who was my other friend, spent our times just hanging out, going on adventures, making bow and arrows, skateboarding, all the sort of things that kids do at that age, I guess. Now, we fast forward to your first year out of high school and your parents were encouraging you to make a big decision. So you were either to take up a trade or to go to uni. What did you decide and what did this mean for your friendship with Ashley? Yes, so first year out of school, I'd actually decided to start an apprenticeship at the local cafe Mm -hmm. and Ashley at the time had moved down to Newcastle to pursue an education in personal training and PDHPE and stuff, we were still keeping in pretty regular contact. Okay. So after all these years of friendship, you guys, as you say, you were physically separated, but still keeping in touch. And then one night you had, Tom, and this is, I remember when you first told me this, it gave me so many goosebumps. You had a very unusual dream. Now tell us about the dream and how it all unfolded. Okay. So The dream begun what would become a series of strange occurrences. And basically, I woke up one morning after having this really vivid but disturbing dream. And it was about Ashley and his family. And, you know, I'd had weird dreams and and nightmares before. But I woke up with this really strange sort of feeling that I've just never felt before. And so I'm on my way to work and just out of some sort of weird superstitious feeling I had, I decided to give Ashley a call. And so he picks up the phone and I ask how he's going. He tells me everything's been going well and he's enjoying his new apartment and his and his new flatmate and the TAFE is great and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I said, well... Look, I don't want to sound like a widow or anything, but half of the reason that I called was I had this crazy dream last night. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah. So I was with you and and your family at this holiday resort, and we ended up going on some sort of expedition in the forest. And then the tour guide went missing, and then your, your dad went missing, and we were searching for him. And after hours and hours, we, we finally found him and he was, he was dead. And it was just, I don't know, it was just a really weird dream. And then I, I turned around and all of a sudden you were missing. And then, you know, for the rest of the dream, me and, and your mom and your brothers and, and sisters, were, we were just trying to find you. And then I just woke up and I don't know, man, it was just like a, it's a really weird kind of uh, dream. So I just thought I'd you know, check in with you and, and see if you're all right. And he goes, um, I don't know. I guess it was just a weird dream. I'm, I'm sweet. But uh, yeah, anyway, i gotta, I got to get off to class now. So cheers for the call and I'll catch you later. Before you go on, Tom, can I just ask you a little bit more about this dream? Because it does sound like one of those dreams that we have, that we wake up and we think that was not a common dream. This, this is telling me something. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah. And You know, it was 10 years ago, and I'd be reluctant to say that I haven't had 
a dream within that vein since where you're sort of left thinking, hmm, that didn't feel like a normal dream and it sort of really affects the entire course of your day. But actually, since then, I've never really had a dream that, that left me feeling quite as disturbed as that. So could you just give us a little bit more detail about this dream? So you've told us that in it, you were in a resort type environment, some kind of tropical or forest-like place with trees. And it seems like you were with Ashley and his family and there was a real Mm -hmm. sense of foreboding. It it seems like it didn't begin this way, but it began to turn into a kind of a nightmare. Yeah. So it actually started off really well up until the various people in the dream went missing. And I mean, most notably, it was Ashley's father who went missing and we did eventually find him. And like I said, it was a long time ago, but I remember the moment upon which we all actually located him and realized that he was dead was a very sort of intense moment. You know, I, I really can't recall much else other than, than that, you know. It was a long time ago. No, that's okay. That's good. So you've called your friend and you've called him immediately and you've told mm-hmm. him about it. And he said, no, look, everything's good. That was in the morning. And then you've gone and had your day. You went to work. And then Mm -hmm. on your way home, your phone rang. It did. I'm on my way back home in the car and I get a call from Ash. And I answer the phone and he sounds audibly very sort of distressed, voice wobbling, can clearly hear that something's not quite right. And I said, hey, man, how's it going? He goes, "Uh, yeah, good, man. Hey, by the way, can you just tell me a little bit more about that dream you had last night? And I said, look, man, to be honest, I I can't really remember much of it now. Uh, Everything I told you this morning was everything I know. And he goes, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, no worries, man. Um, Well, uh, I've just got a call from mum, and, um, yeah, she's told me uh, dad's dead, and she, she doesn't know how he died. And I'm just at the airport and I'm on the next flight up. Was, I can't imagine um, how you felt hearing that. Can you remember <laughs> how you felt in that moment hearing um, that news? Well, yeah, I think really more than anything, I was just shocked because obviously at this point in my life, I'd never had anyone close to me die or dealt with anything like that. And so rather than think about what sort of implications it had towards my thinking on the nature of everything and the universe and stuff, I was just, I was shocked. I didn't really know what to do, to be honest. I can imagine because you're a young guy. I mean, you're Mm. only 29 now and this was a decade ago and it it was unprecedented by the sounds of things you'd never had a dream of this kind before up until that point. And basically you're finding out that you had a premonition and it came true. Yeah. I mean... We'd later found out that Ashley's dad had actually taken his own life that day. And what, what we found out even later on, that it was actually within the time between our first and second conversation on that very day. I didn't really think all that much about the dream and, and what it meant and stuff. I was already pretty well under the belief that the whole paranormal afterlife phenomenon was real so I was more concerned just with the gravity of the situation more than anything and being there for your friend right yeah imagine yeah what an immense shock 
for him and for all of his family as well. So in your dream, you came across Ashley's dad deceased, but you didn't know how his life had ended within the dream. No. No. And then, yeah, so later you found out how it had actually played out in real life. Yeah. Did you find out, I wonder, without going into details too much, just about whether there was some kind of rainforest setting as in your dream? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. And there was no real relevance to the setting in my dream to how things happened. I've been thinking about dreams on and off quite a bit sort of since all of this went down. And I feel like dreams are sort of this very misunderstood place in which we all go, but from a a scientific standpoint or a psychological standpoint, we only know the very tip of the iceberg of what's actually occurring. And for me, I think there's two arguments to the concept. And Mm -hmm. one is that dreams are just something that is produced through biochemicals and electromagnetic signals and all that stuff that we know about the brain, or that there's a deeper element to the the whole process, which is, you know, where you come into spirituality and things. And Mm. I tend to believe it's probably more of a combination of both. And we all know there's different types of dreams. Yes, uh, yes. What's really interesting too about your story is that that dream is essentially the beginning of, as you hinted earlier, you said that this was the beginning of a series of strange events. Now, let's move on to six months later. You had your heart set on moving to Sydney. That's right. I'd always thought of the idea of becoming an actor And it was a friend of my dad's, actually, who told me that he used to model a lot when he was my age and he did commercials and and TV stuff. He said he had connections down in Sydney and he could probably hook me up with an agency or a job at a bar if that's what I wanted to do. And I started to think that maybe that was a good idea. So we went down and I ended up finding a cheap little apartment in Surrey Hills. And before long, I was off on the uh, next leg of my adventure. Okay, so this new apartment of yours that was a bit of a bargain, this was to set the scene, this place, for what would become your next significant paranormal experience and it does tie in with your dream and the previous story. Now, please just talk us through what happened next. Okay, so I'm just sort of starting to get settled into my new apartment. I've put posters up in the wall, I've filled the place full of appliances and it's sort of just starting to feel like home. And at the, I didn't have many friends in Sydney. So I would actually spend, you know, quite a bit of my time just playing Xbox in my room on, on the nights that I had off from work. And on one particular night, I'd, I'd been playing Xbox for about three hours. And I was just like, okay, what am I doing? I'm, I'm sick of this. Pause the game. And I'm just sitting up in my bed in my room sort of thinking about what to do next other than just monotonous video game playing. And then uh, all of a sudden I start feeling this weird energy in the room. And I've been trying to think of ways to describe what this experience was like. And it's difficult, but it was kind of like this invisible cloud of energy that 
all of a sudden I just picked up on. And within a couple of seconds, it was just sort of like creeping in from the outside in. And I, I started to notice that my hearing was different. Like I couldn't hear anything in the room and I couldn't even really feel myself on the bed. I couldn't feel where I was sitting or if I was sitting up or lying down or what. It was like this cloud of energy that kind of just took away my senses and slowly came in from the outside in. And basically before long, I just found myself completely paralyzed in my bed and naturally I'm freaking out and all of a sudden I just hear this voice um, coming from sort of like the inside of my skull and it was the voice of Ashley's father and he asked me a question and then just as I pronounced the, the last word of my answer my body was just released and all of a sudden I was like brought immediately back into reality I could hear again I felt where I was and that wow. was probably the most transformative spiritual experience I've ever had I probably sound like a total weirdo but um you know <laughs> when I heard your <laughs> when I heard your program the other day and started hearing some of the people who have been on your show before, you know, talking about their experiences, so I was just like, yes, finally. Yeah, you're definitely not alone, Tom. And <laughs> tell, us, tell us a bit more. So was there a sense that Ashley's dad was in the room with you, that his spirit was there with you in that moment? Oh, definitely. Like to begin with, I had no idea what was going on. But then once I suppose he'd been able to actually enter my body or my mind or my consciousness or whatever you want to call it, I knew immediately. It was like his voice was speaking directly into the centre of my brain. And, of course, you knew him very well, being your best friend's father, so mm. I, I'm assuming that his his energy and the, his personality was perhaps very apparent and very real to you in that moment. Oh, yeah. There was absolutely no denying who it was, even though that was the first experience of, of that calibre on the supernatural scale that I'd ever had and have ever had since, actually. And the interesting thing, I mean, there are many interesting aspects about it, but one of them is, you know, you mentioned that paralysis came over you, that mm. there was this strange vibration as well. And certainly a vibration is mentioned in so many accounts of people sharing moments where they've either seen a spirit or felt one. And paralysis is another common aspect of these encounters. And I can imagine that there are people listening who think, oh, but how about sleep paralysis? Could that have been what you experienced, a case of sleep paralysis? But what's significant is that you weren't asleep, for one. No. You finished your game. You were sitting up. You weren't lying down. No. And yeah. so you were quite awake and this feeling stole over you. Yeah. You know, I feel like there's this commonality among mainstream society, especially in the Western world, where anything that 
uh, is unexplainable by the current scientific model of thinking is so easily attributed to something that can be explained. Some kind of medical condition or, yeah, or something sleep, like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's just got this mental condition or it's sleep paralysis or it's this or it's that or whatever, but yeah. I've got nothing against science. I think that we're at a point at the moment where it's so easy to to dismiss these claims of things that can't be explained as this or that. And it doesn't really matter for me. I know for myself, it certainly wasn't a sleep paralysis. <laughs> In that moment, Tom, when you came out of it and, and you say it was a moment that you'll never forget and probably the most significant spiritual experience you've ever had, Mm. You can say that now, but in that moment that you came out of it, what were you thinking and what did you think you had just experienced? How were you feeling, I guess? I was pretty freaked out, I'm not going to lie. I was alone in my own uh, apartment at the time, so there wasn't really anyone that I could necessarily talk to. And I sort of just got up out of bed, out of the room. I actually walked to the fridge, I think, if I can remember correctly. (laughs) tried to just sort of take my mind off it, I guess, and shelve it for something that I could potentially maybe deal with emotionally and mentally later, which I have in the years since. Yeah, that, was that sounds like a good strategy to go to the fridge. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty <laughs> messed up. Deal with material reality. <laughs> might, might see what's good to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so last time you had something you know, this spiritual dream that involved your friend and his dad, you rang Ashley and you told him. Did you have that same impulse now to ring Ashley and tell him what had just happened to you? Yeah, so it definitely wasn't until probably at least six months later that I actually approached the conversation with Ashley. Why do you think it took you so long? I'm not sure, really. I, I think it was all still very fresh at that stage. Mm-hmm. And even though Ashley's probably the furthest thing from a sensitive bloke that you, you'll ever find, when you're young, you don't quite know how to deal yeah. with situations that are of a pretty hectic nature. And so, yeah, I don't know why it took me so long. Youth and this is your friend and this is something that is essentially inexplicable. Yeah, but it was funny, though, because I did end up passing it by him and, and, and letting him know about the experience that I'd had. And I was a little bit nervous to begin with. I didn't know how he might react, but he sort of just looked at me in the eyes with this deadpan gaze and just very casually said, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. He's been doing that to me heaps too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> wow. Was that the last thing you expected to hear? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I didn't really prod him any further into what he'd been going through, but I was just relieved that he wasn't offended by it or anything like that. And that also I could have somebody that kind of understood what I was going through. But well, and, what I went through, I suppose. Yes, and not just somebody, but, you know, your best friend and the son of the spirit who came to you. So that's, yeah, yeah that's amazing. And yeah. I wonder, and uh, without prying, did he also ask Ashley a question? Do you know that? We haven't really gone into detail 
about what sort of communications have been had between Ashley and his dad. And that's not to say that he wouldn't be willing. It's just that it's sort of something that um, I feel like might better just be left between him and him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even when he's ready, he'll tell you. So, Tom, as you mentioned, that was really only the start of the strange stuff that went on to happen in that apartment. And that's what I want to move on to look at now. And we hinted earlier that the apartment was a bit of a bargain, and I think we're about to find out why. So, yeah, I actually found that apartment on the trading post in the paper that my gran at the time would have ordered to her house every weekend. And I sort of showed her the advertisement, and it was so cheap that she told me that it was almost certainly a scam and that I should just forget about it. But Disregarding her advice, I called the number and the landlord said that he liked to privately advertise just because, you know, he found it easier that way rather than going through a real estate agency. And I said, well, excellent. And so we ended up having a meeting at the apartment and in comparison with all the other equivalent residencies in that area it was probably less than half as much as everybody else was paying that's a big Um, difference yeah yeah and so (laughs) I just thought well look I'm killing it here it was obviously I had the uh, first experience that we've just gone through and everything but that was only really the start of the weird stuff that Mm. occurred at that do tell do tell now Living that in that apartment was the first real introduction to the, the dating scene in my life. And as it turns out, I don't think I really quite learned how to judge on whether someone was going to be a suitable partner or not yet. And as a result, I probably had about three or four very short and confusing relationships during my time in that apartment. One of the weird things I started to realize towards the end of the year was that every time I had a girlfriend stay over, they would always seem to never get a good night's sleep. They'd be like, oh, you know, not really good, actually. I don't know what it was, but I, uh, you know, I just I just couldn't get to sleep. Or, yeah, I slept pretty good, but I just kept on having these really weird dreams where, like, someone was chasing me or, like, everybody was being really mean to me. And at the time... I didn't really take much notice of it, but after it kept happening again and again and again, I was kind of like, this is kind of weird because, you know, I'd had guy friends who would stay over, we'd watch the footy and sleep on the couch or on a mattress in my room and and they would always wake up after a good night's sleep. So it was just the girls that were having unsettled night's sleep there? Yeah. I had a housemate who lived in the room opposite mine and... He met girls out on the town who had just become friends and who had actually just come over to watch movies and, and then end up having a couple too many wines and being like, oh, is it is it cool if I just like sleep on the couch or whatever? And then, you know, in the morning when we're making coffee, I'd be like, oh, by the way, how did you sleep? And they'd, be, they'd go, oh, you know, same story. Either it was couldn't get to sleep, got a good sleep, but had terrible dreams all night or just couldn't get past the feeling like someone was chasing me or something like that. You know? That's really interesting. So friends and girlfriends, but only the females would only report the this. Only the girls. Yeah. 
And had you experienced any other sort of strange vibe in the apartment other than, of course, the the extraordinary experience you had with the spirit of Ashley's dad? Had there been anything else that had made you think that something was strange in there? Well, yeah, I was used to having my flatmate in and around the place like fairly regularly. You know, we, we had totally different working schedules. So a lot of the time I'd be at home when he was at work and, and he'd be at home when I was at work. And every now and then I'd sort of get the feeling like someone was in there with me and I'd go to be like, oh, by the way, you know, I booked the washing machine to get fixed and there was no one there. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And then even just especially in my room for some reason, I always felt like someone – it's kind of like that tingly energy that I've explained earlier but on a much Mm. less intense degree like someone was watching me I had several windows in my room that actually faced out onto the alleyway at that time and I usually just kept them half open for airflow and quite often I'd sort of peer my head out the window to see if anybody was standing outside or um, so that's how strong the feeling was that you were being watched yeah well that you were not alone yeah yeah, you know, I'm a lot more spiritually aware now than I was back then. Yeah, that makes sense but, again um, because you were very young and it's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back then, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch going on intellectually apart from food and exercise and what the next fun thing was to do. So, <laughs> um, And so, yeah. Tom, with this background in mind for our listeners, that the girls, any any girl that stays over reports that she can't sleep well or she has nightmares... And this idea of you feeling like you're never alone, you're being watched. With all of that in the background, you then had another bizarre dream. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So basically I find myself in this dream where, as you know, I was playing quite a bit of Xbox at the time, but for most of the dreams that I have, in unless it's lucid dreaming, which is awesome. I don't know that I'm in a dream. It's just like an alternate reality sort of thing. And I'm walking around this level of of this game that I've been playing, unaware that I'm in a dream. And I keep on hearing this voice and it's just saying one thing and it's, it's coming from all different directions. And it's just like, hey. And I'm like, yep. Uh... What is it? Um, I'm here for interactions. Uh, <laughs> what, what would you like to say? And then all of a sudden from another direction, hey. And then I, you know, turn around and, and refocus on where it came from then and and this kept on happening. Is it a man's um, voice or a woman's voice? No, it was it was like a I wanted it was like a girl's voice. It was kind of like a girl who seemed like she was my age sort of thing. You okay. Know? Like a young woman's voice, I suppose you could say. Yep. And after a while, I just remember sort of getting kind of aggravated, like, this is getting boring. Just show yourself, reveal yourself to me. I'm over this. And then all of a sudden, I'm woken up by the same voice. But in, instead of the voice coming from with inside my dream... It was like when when you're sleeping and someone bursts through your bedroom door and goes, hey, wake up, it's time to wake up. 
it's the difference between a sound coming from within your dream and a sound coming from reality. Which So the voice saying, hey, hey, the young woman's voice saying, hey, hey, was now in your room. Well, yeah. Wow. Um, the, I mean, it, it was a long time ago, like I said, but basically what I can recall is that within the dream, the girl's voice was only saying one thing, hey, hey, from multiple directions. And then all of a sudden I'm instantly woken up by the same voice, except it's coming from outside of my dream. It's coming from you know, what I then found out was reality. And as I open my eyes, I am immediately just met with another pair of eyes that are hovering maybe two or like six inches above my own. And it's hard to explain exactly (laughs) what it looked like. I've heard listeners on your show talk about how apparitions sometimes look like they're made of smoke. Mm -hmm. But for me, it sort of looked more like steam. Steam. Okay. Yeah. And what did you see? What sort of face? Well, it was this girl's face and her eyes were wide open and hovering only inches above my own she had this massive smile on her face like she was just so pleased with herself for somehow you know managing to contact me in whichever way she had done it it was kind of nice actually she was you know not that it's relevant or anything but she was actually really pretty (laughs) (laughs) Relevant to a 20-year-old young man, for sure. I can see that. (laughs) And as uh, remarkable of like a sort of experience it was, it was probably only maybe for one or two seconds max that her face hovered there above mine, just making this really intense sort of eye contact. And then within the click of a finger, the steam just sort of, burst like a shot into the corner of the room and it was gone. And yeah, that was, uh, that was the first time and actually the only time I've ever seen like a, a, what you could call an apparition, I suppose, or a ghost. I'll never forget that face. That's for sure. And you eventually went to find out a theory as to who that face might have belonged to how long, how much time elapsed before you did actually find out who this young girl might have been? Yeah, I can't accurately say how long it was between me realising that there was quite obviously a resident spirit, if you will, in this apartment and when the next sort of chapter of what occurred happened. Okay. But, but what did happen was that I'm alone in my apartment on a Thursday night, just having a night off from work, not doing a whole bunch, like I mentioned earlier, Xbox, food, that sort of thing. 
it's pouring down rain and we get this knock on the door. And this was one of the occasions that me and my housemate were actually home together and hanging out and, you know, we sort of looked at each other and we're like, oh, are you expecting anyone tonight? And we both said, no, I don't know what that is. And so I, I hopped up off the couch and I, I went down to the door and opened it up. And as you know, in a lot of apartments in, in Sydney, there's like a security gate between, you know, the yeah. door and the, the little step up area. And we never locked the security gate because we just didn't feel the need. And so, you know, I opened the door and there's this young lady standing there and she's soaking wet. And she's like, oh, hey, is, is Jono, is Jono in? And I was like, no, there's no one called Jono who lives here. This is, you know, this is my apartment. And she said, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. Well, are you guys, are you guys uh, still doing deals or, or what's the, what's the story? And I was like, deals? What do you mean? And she goes, oh, no, don't worry, it's all good. And I was like, okay, you're pretty wet. Did you want to come in? Um, we're just, you know, having a few beers and watching telly and stuff. And she goes, oh, cheers, yeah, that'd be good. So she hops in and I gave her one of my jumpers and we hung her jacket up on on the rack and gave her a beer and stuff and after a while we we get to talking and she goes you boys do realize this used to be a smack house right and we were like what she goes yeah this was uh this was big robbo's place and we're like big robbo she goes yeah 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 no you know uh, big Robbo used to used to sell shit out of here, and he was a real nice guy. He used to let in like all the all the street crew who needed a, a place to stay when you know stuff was getting stuff was getting uh, intense and stuff. And yeah, oh, I've I've had heaps of fun times in this place. Me and my friend Andrew, we used to come here all the time. And yeah, it's a shame you guys, you know, aren't doing deals anymore. But you know, I appreciate you letting me in for a beer and all that and all that. And I was like, oh. Wow. Okay. And she goes, yeah, actually, um, yeah, my, my mate died here. eh? And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, sometimes like you get a bad batch and, uh, you wake up after, you know, uh, having a good, a, a good session. And, uh, one morning I woke up and, and my best friend, she was right next to me and, and was right, right down there in that room. She pointed to my room. And she said, uh, yeah, I woke up and, and she was dead. And wow. How did you feel hearing this, Tom? Um, you know, at the time I actually didn't draw the dots. Uh, okay. It's, it kind of seems obvious going back over the whole thing now. Um, but I was kind of more concerned with just, like, being as emotionally, like, supportive for this stranger that had just come into my house than I was thinking you know, about yourself and your own experience yeah 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 it was only actually um after I had already started to organize moving out that you know how like uh light bulb moments sort of just come to you every now and then when you least expect them that I all of a sudden connected 
all of the dots and and realized what was probably going on there. Wow. And so as you said though, so you had those experiences but you've never you've never again seen an apparition. No. I, I suppose you could say those the experiences that I had in that apartment and during the times leading up to living in that apartment and even some after living in that apartment, I sort of started to realise that there is an element of control that you can implement when it comes to how open you are to this unforeseen, unexplained realm of energy that, you know, you and I and a lot of other people now know exists. That's Um, right. A lot of people that I've spoken to have said that, you know, they made a conscious decision to shut down and that's often the term that they use. They They will shut down their antenna in a way, you know, so that they don't experience this stuff. And do you think that's what you decided to do? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, like after you've gone through an experience where you've literally been physically disabled, I realised that there are certain things that you can do mentally and spiritually or energetically or whatever you want to call it to counteract that from happening. I started doing them. I sort of feel a little bit like a, a cowardly for not really being open to explore whatever this phenomenon that I seem to have a strange connection with is. But for the moment, I'm just trying to focus on my uh, personal trajectory in the four dimensions that we can Mm. measure at this certain time in human history. There's wisdom in that as well. And there might Mm. come a time, Tom, when you decide to explore this material more and you know and that that will be the right time no doubt yeah yeah no doubt I mean I think if you know I can take any sort of solace out of the way that I operate now with basically just closing my doors to any of that sort of spooky stuff is that I now know that my dream life or my dream state or that place that we all go sometimes after we fall asleep and have these amazing adventures and meet all these amazing people is that I still am maintaining some sort of connection to my spirituality through that and for me at this point in my life that's enough. Reminds me of what the author Edgar Allan Poe said. He said, I think in one of his poems, uh, is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream. And, (laughs) And on that note, I'm going to ask you, Tom, what can an encounter with the dead teach us about living? I suppose I could say that if anything, what I've learnt through my experiences with the dead is that we tend to be forced into this system of belief that our 
experience, our conscious experience in this world or, or on this planet or in this universe is of a very finite nature. And that I think can lead and, and has led to a lot of subconscious unrest among the millions of people who are going about their daily lives, you know, especially on the Western side of our modern civilization. Mm -hmm. And uh, if there's anything that I've learned from my experience is that it isn't finite, that there may be different variations of our experience or our interpretation of whatever dimensions we're existing in, but it doesn't end. I don't know what happens after we die in the four dimensions we're aware of existing, but I take peace in the fact that I know that there's at least some form of continuation that occurs after we do. Um, that's great, Tom. I really yeah. like that and I think that's a lovely note to end on that it is, a, it is an idea that offers peace and it offers hope that we continue on and thank you so much for reminding us of that today and for sharing your experiences with us. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to The Ghost Files. If you love the show, please give us a five-star rating, leave a review and tell a friend. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.